All right, Megan, so today we have Brian Metzler on the show. Okay, so I'm just going to give a little background from my perspective about you, Brian. So we don't really even need you here. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just tell people. So when I first started reviewing shoes and doing stuff, you know, it was kind of like fumbling my way around. And there were some pros already in the business. And one of them was Brian. And I felt like... I felt like when I met Brian, and it's not that there's a huge age difference between us or anything, but I, I remember the first time I saw him, and I think it might have been at the running event, and I felt like a freshman <laughs> when the seniors are walking around. Like Brian's confident, he's talking to brands, they know who he is, he's, you know, obviously knows what he's doing, and I'm looking like that geek who's lost in the hallway trying to find somebody to eat lunch with. But uh, I, I've always uh, looked up to Brian and uh, you know, at the same time, like he's written a book about it, Kixology. If you haven't checked that out, check that out. And uh, today I hope to learn more about Brian, why he's interested in shoes. Although if you read the book, you'll find out why. But and then we'll get into the to garbage. Was that the longest intro we've ever had? Probably. All right, Brian, you still there? Most <laughs> Yeah, thank you guys. Yes, um, I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, let's. I mean, let's let's talk about geeking. I mean, let's let's. We're all geeks, right? We're all running geeks. I mean, we're all somewhere always like that freshman or eighth grader that doesn't know anything about anything, and we just like to have fun. Yeah, I love it that we all kind of start off like we were talking about this on the podcast uh, uh, that will probably air this Friday. Uh, that or it would have already aired anyway. It's hard to tell time and space time continuum. We we uh, all start off running in the wrong shoe. And I think that's why we get so interested in shoes because you know what difference a good shoe makes in the enjoyment of the sport. And one of my favorites is when you start off the, your book, you talk about running in the Air Max. I know exactly which one it is. And like you always can tell someone new to a running group by <laughs> looking at their shoes. And if they're wearing something like that, you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think now we're seeing this whole new growth of running, you know, post pandemic for whatever reason. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but, but, and, and there's so many shoes out there, right? The, the difference is now there's a lot more good shoes or better shoes with good foams and they're lighter and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, like, I think that the average runner, the novice runner, right? I mean, like just uh, the realistic person who wants, Hey, I'm going to run, I'm going to train for a half marathon doesn't, doesn't know what they want, right? They just go and get a shoe and they start running. Well, and it's interesting because now there is some confusion. While you say all the shoes are good now, Most I agree with you uh, that a lot of them are. But the rise of lifestyle running shoes, uh, some people don't know the difference. Like I'll see somebody running in like a New Balance 5, you know, 7.5 or 5.74, whatever it is, or 990 V6 or something like that. And you're just like, uh, hey, I know they look like running shoes, but not so much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's curious as to why or how people choose shoes. I mean, obviously the internet has changed everything. I mean, I, th I still think that going to your local running store is going to help you get a shoe that fits your foot and fits your gait and all that stuff. But I think that, that running shoes are everywhere now, right? I mean, uh, you can buy them on your phone, obviously, and, and there's no rhyme or reason. People shop by brand or people shop by color, right? And like, color, yeah. that's great. Um, but, but, but people go through an entire either cycle of training, like the, again, that first half marathon or, or even the next half marathon, even if it's someone who's been running and there's not a lot of, um, in, until this, right. Until people that are like really runner geeky, putting information out, there's no real kind of instruction manual on how to be a runner or how to buy shoes. It's just, there's just tons of shoes out there. 
and like, oh, I like that one, right? And what does that mean, right? Yeah. That is interesting. Okay, before we get too nerdy and into the shoe stuff, I know Thomas kind of gave you an intro or whatever that was, um, but can we get your like origin into the space? Like, when did running start for you? How did you get into this industry? Where did it all begin? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so as a runner, I was uh, like a middle school cross country runner, and then a high school track runner who was I was probably a decent track runner, middle distance runner, and then I, I was a walk on in college, and then after college, I was like, oh, there's no real thing for that. So I was running uh, 5Ks around Chicago still, repping Chicago here with Deep Dish Pizza. Uh, and then I moved to Boulder and all of a sudden I discovered trail running, right? And that changed my world. And like everything took a backseat to trail running. And the more I got into it, the more I got into it, right? And uh, it's, just, it's just a fascinating different world. And I still like, uh, I still love track. I still love road running, but I, I mostly am trail running now, you know, and that's just kind of how my my, my running evolved and, and led to other things too. But uh, as far as uh, professional background, I was a journalist, uh, initially a newspaper uh, journalist, as everyone was, right? And then that turned into a bunch of different things. I was writing for magazines. I got the chance to start Trail Runner magazine. Um, and then <clears throat> since then, I've been immersed in the running media space uh, since then, you know, and it's been like 20 some years now. And I worked for uh, Rodale, Running Times, Runner's World, and the competitor group, when competitor group was uh, pushing out a lot of running content tied to their, their running events and stuff, and then did a couple of their startup things, and then now I'm tied with uh, the conglomerate of outside, which is, you know, doing more running, um, and, and along the way, I've been a freelance writer, you know, uh, books, uh, you know, articles on my own, stuff like that, so, I, you know, I've written about a lot of different stuff aside from running, but I love running, and that's what I do all the time, so, um, and then along the way, to your point, I mean, yeah, I just... You know, as I wrote in my book, I, running shoes became this thing um, long before I knew they were a thing, right? Um, there was some identity for me to, to be a runner, and I love that. But I also identified those moments that I had with running shoes. You know, I, I, I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not really a gear guy, believe it or not. But I, but I do um, recall the moments that I had, like in, in seventh grade cross country, you know, having a good race and the shoes I wore and like that, that went on and on. And I still, I still feel that way. I, I still kind of identify like a great run with, Oh, that, that shoe fits really well or works really well for that terrain. And so it's, it's kind of a mixed thing. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, a, a touchy feely thing for me, but it's also appreciating, you know, the, the evolution of good running shoes. So in a nutshell, that's kind of where I went. I mean, like, you know, journalist runner and shoe geek kind of like kept spiraling and here I am talking to you guys. Yeah, let's let's do some name dropping real quick because <laughs> I I've been at trail races where there's little uh, clicks that drop out of the trail race and go and do uh, hikes and stuff afterwards and it's always like star studded and somehow you always seem to get the invite. Uh, can you give us some of the names of some of the people that you've run trails with that uh, you've gotten to share those in Boulder? I mean, Buzz Burrell is like a just like a, a local legend. Uh, he 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 was around when I when I kind of started trail running. He's done a lot of great things. Peter Backwood, those guys actually started the FKT movement. Um, some of the guys like that. Dave Mackey's a good friend of mine. He's he's been a legend. Uh, he had a bad injury a couple of years ago, but he's still doing great things. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Boulder scene guys. You know, Jurek lives here now, but like there's been a lot of people that have come through Boulder that have uh, done a lot of great things um, that, you know, I'm happy to tag along with. We, we've had a, a Thursday night running group for a long time that, you know, it was a mix of like, you know, just novice runners, average runners, and then champion hundred milers. Right. And that, that, that stuff rubs, rubs off on you. You know, it's like, you can't help but like learn um, not only physical 
things, but also like mental attributes about trail running uh, when you're when you're hanging around and just going for your your average Thursday run with those guys. Yeah, and you've even like uh, Adam Chase who works for Brooks and helps them develop some of their trail shoes. Probably talks to some other people about trail shoes. Uh, he's probably I, I consider him somewhat of a legend in the sport, even though yes. a lot of people wouldn't know him. Yeah, um, so Adam's Adam's definitely a legend. I, I've been friends with him and known him for a long time, and he's another one on that list. Uh, he, you know, he he was even before like trail running really became a thing. I think he was the the winningest fifty miler in, in the country, um, and, and really did, did did what he did really well. And then uh, he got into other things, adventure racing and such. But yeah, he's been another you know shoe dog, shoe geek forever, and he really understands shoes, knows shoes, and uh, certainly a good friend. It, it's always interesting because I feel like there's two types of runners. Like I talked to someone like Michael Wardian who ran for North Face now runs for Hoka and he certainly appreciates the Hoka shoe more than he did at the time when he was uh, with North Face because back then they really didn't have uh, even a road shoe um, to, to kind of put on your feet. Um, but he's not like what I would call a shoe geek. And yeah. I think that there's, we talk to athletes and some are like, yeah, whatever you put on my feet, if you say it's good, that's good for me. What do you think is the difference between people who get so into the the equipment versus the people that are just like, yeah, whatever, I'll just go for a run. And that's the important part. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, it probably, it probably spans a whole um, kind of some psychosomatic range that is probably out of my pay grade. But I think that there are athletes um, and you can probably take it in any sport, right? Um, in, in, in golf, you could probably hand somebody, um, whether it be a pro golfer or your buddy, and you can give them any club and they can hit a great shot with it. Right. And then other others are like, no, I, I need this specific thing. So I think it's, it's, it probably has to do with how those people approach um, sport and, and, and maybe their connection, their physical connection to, um, to movement and stuff like that. I, I think that like, I, I agree that there are athletes who, you could, you could put them in anything and they would obviously run fast or run well and, 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 and do well. But I, I, it's, it's hard to say. I think, I think certainly there are um, athletes who kind of look beyond the, the footwear, right? And it's more about this, this bigger picture of them moving through space and, and maybe it's uh, more, you know, psychological, emotional, and um, just the beauty of running, the, the, the freedom of running is, is the bigger thing. I think that Wardian, you know, is an example of a guy who, um, has done a lot of crazy wild things um, without restriction to, to anything that else that, that might 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 be a blockade, right? I mean, you know, as he's gotten older, he's still fast. You know, he, I think he ran two twenty nine at CIM, uh, yeah, three years ago, and, and he's he's mid forties now. So yeah, it's it's, it's definitely running across the country and still can drop like a, <laughs> I think like a fifteen minute five uh, k or something like that. Yeah, he's 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 phenomenal for sure, and like I've had a lot of fun with him and run with him in a lot of different places and. He's just a good soul, you know, and that's that's you know that's part of the beauty of running too, though, right? I mean, like, it's it's not about times or splits or whatever else. It's it's about uh, the enjoyment and how you pursue this this movement called running, right? And it's different for everybody, um, as much as it's the same. It's, but it's it's you know we all have our place and why we do it and what it makes us kind of feel inside. So I started running a kind of like just before I would say super shoes came into the world and carbon fiber plates. So I don't remember that much of a time before that, but obviously you were there, you've like seen this evolution of shoes. Do you feel like the emphasis on shoes is way more extreme than it used to be, especially when it comes to performance? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the emphasis you hit, that's a key part. The emphasis has changed entirely and maybe not 
only because of the materials because because we're, we're night and day from where we were i mean like pre you know even boost foam 2013 which i don't, I don't know the boost was necessarily a super foam but it was maybe the first new foam right um and now it's like night and day and when i when i've said recently that like all the shoes are pretty good now they are compared to so you know pre-2013 and let's let's go back to like 2000 like eva there were some pu shoes that were heavy heavier you know polyurethane wasn't a great foam but it was it, it could be bouncy but heavy um, but EVA was a thing forever, right? And and the differentiation of, of how brands made them different were just kind of on the upper of the fit, how light they were and everything else. But but if you went back now to some of those shoes, even like um, 2005, 2007, a lot of shoes were heavier. They were overbuilt. They weren't really built for performance. Um, certainly, there were racing flats, but most of the training shoes were like just gaudy and such. And so... Joggers. I, I, I mean, we're, we're in such a different time, but in terms of emphasis, I think social media certainly has changed the emphasis of footwear. And certainly, yes, because there are, are faster, you know, uh, uh, foams and, and, and quicker shoes and carbon plates, that's changed everything. Um, but I, I just think there's, there's more of a detail on, because of social media, there's more of a vision into everyone, everyone's life and what they're doing, what they're wearing, um, and specifically for running, obviously, shoes. And um, so, that, so there's a more acute view of shoes now, and also shoes are a lot better, considerably better uh, than ever before. So it's kind of those two different two different pieces. But yeah, shoes prior to the super foams, if you think about some of the athletes that ran fast times, like even, even uh, Steve Jones ran 207 in 1984-85, and or a pair of Reeboks with like this, this, this thin layer of just what would, we would consider dead EVA. Uh, it's, pre it's pretty amazing people did that, you know, or even Derek Clayton way back when running, you know, sub 209 in, in a shoe that's basically on the ground, you know, so it, it is crazy. But but then if you fast forward now to seeing that the super foams and it's no doubt that people are running better and faster and obviously recovering more. And it's just it's just like uh, shoes have evolved to a place where where it makes everything about running better. I think when you talk about that, there's certain um, high points in running shoe technology that shift everything and change everything. And, you know, I, I almost feel like if I go way, way back, you can say New Balance changed the running shoe to be more of a jogger. And that was in the 70s when people were like jogging for fitness and they just wanted a shoe that you could go and leave the house and so they were built up, they had posting, they had all this new um, technology in the shoes that they thought would be better for runners. So that's one example, I think, and, and then that was Chase for a while. I, in my mind, know where I feel like in during my time of, of running, where there's like little high points that change the whole game. And uh, I'd love to hear where you, where you think, uh, think like though, if you could point out one shoe model that changed everything and then what proceed what came after that uh well it's, it's interesting I'll, I'll start talking through that and come come to the answer for you i, I do think that there's been, been key high points i do think like the 70s when when new balance like the, the 320 and the 420 were shoes that like more people used um and then obviously the the first nike tail one with air it took a long time to get air to be a thing and then it wasn't really till zoom air in the 90s became actually a more performance oriented you know um piece of technology. I mean, I think the same with the ASICs uh, gel inserts, they were, they were a thing, but they weren't necessarily a performance thing. You know, I think that, um, and if I think of one shoe, I mean, like, uh, I, I think, I think that what's, what's the, the, the shoe that changed everything in the current uh, version of things, um, you know, when, the, when the first Hocus came out, right, that was, we went from minimalism, which was, 
you know, cool and purposeful, but also an outlier. And I think when when Hoka came out, the, the like the first Mafate, that was cool because there was a lot of foam and they were lightweight foams. But I think the Hoka Clifton is what changed things for the mainstream and really put Hoka on the map and and then allowed um, thicker foams to be lighter, right? And that was that was that was that piece. And of course, obviously the carbon plate uh, evolution, um, you know, was, was the next part of that. I think there's been there was plenty of shoes that were you know, around that era. Again, we mentioned the Boost. I, I thought the Boost, the original Boost foam was interesting and novel and and brought some bounce, but it was also highly unstable and heavy and things like that. So I think right around that era, there was a lot of things happening, but I think I think what we learned is from Hoka, <clears throat> people like foam, right? It felt good and it was light enough to be that shoe. And that was the Clifton, right? And and I think that um, that kind of changed or at least set the, set the, the landscape for what was coming forward. And, you know, from a material science point of view, behind the scenes, there was obviously tons of new foams being developed that came out right after that. And that's why we have all these great super foams now, you know, basically all P-backs based, mostly P-backs based. But um, that's really changed the game forever. We'll never go back. Like, there's still EVA uh, derivations around. But um, I think that um, that kind of starting point was was what really kind of went, went forward and changed things. Yeah, that was what was surprising. Like Megan ran the Boston Marathon in the Clifton one when it first came out. And uh, when the Vaporfly came out, you're like, Hoka's got to be the next person to figure this out because they already had the lightweight cushion. Now if they throw a plate in it, and it took a long time for it to get there. But I'll go back. For me, the first shoe that really changed everything for, uh, for my running was the Kimvara. Because up until then, you had very heavy built-up shoes. And then they said, okay, let's take what we love about a racing flat, but put enough foam underneath your foot so that it your your foot isn't going to be hurting after you run. And I, I felt like for a while there, like you see at the front of a, all the races now, you'll see vapor flies or whatever coming in. It, for a while there, in like 2010, 2011, 12. Kimbaras were on the front lines of of every marathon, uh, and then also weirdly the Vibram Five Fingers, <laughs> I think were, were were part of that whole movement of of lighter. And I think when Hoka got it right, it was like, oh, you get the cushioning and the light feel, and exactly. that's where everybody's light bulb went off and was like, this works. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that five fingers never worked for me because I have an enormously large and long second toe. And so <laughs> and it's, it's, it's gaudy if I were to show it to you. But like if, if you remember how those fit, um, it was it was based on less of a foot size and more of how your toes kind of filled out those little pockets. Right. And so it never worked for me because if I had the shorter version, like my second toe would be pushing through. And then uh, if I had the, the longer version, it would be like a gap between my other toes. So. But I think that I think the, you hit on a couple of points there. I think that several things that the minimalist movement did, you know, whether we like five fingers or not, or thought they were funny. I think that like a return to lightness, a return to uh, runnability, right? I think that uh, so many shoes prior to that were just built kind of more for aesthetics and how they looked on the shelf, and like it was less about uh, running form. At the same time that the minimalist movement happened, there was a lot of return to running form kind of discussions, uh, clinics, um, Newton running kind of was built around that same thing. Um, yeah, and, and the chi, chi running, the guy from chi running, chi running, all those things. And so 
it, that kind of cued designers, I think, shoe designers or shoe brands to realize and, and consumers, you know, then with the advent of cushioning from uh, from Hoka and then with, you know, the first Super Foam, uh, the Adidas Boost and then onward. I mean, you had this kind of swirling of stuff and people look at the the minimalist movement and think, oh, that was dumb, barefoot running. And, and, and maybe it wasn't for everybody for sure, but I think it cued a lot of things where you could then have uh, better running. You could have foam, lightweight materials and, and, and a shoe that was built to run first and foremost. Right. And so since then, we've had this uh, really great uh, advent of, of kind of performance running shoes and it's tied to all those things. And if you look at like even like uh, the Hoka Hoka rocker, right? That was tied to that whole notion of a, a better running gait, right? And and then as foams got better, as materials have continued to get better, that we've seen all these brands, you know, put out these great, uh, even everyday trainers, right? And then getting back to the Canvara, I agree with that. I thought the Canvara came was one of the another first shoe out of that minimalist era that had some of those traits I just mentioned, but with also a really good foam that felt good. And it felt like, Okay, it's low to the ground, but it has foam. You know, it had, had kind of the best of both worlds. And so for a long time, the Canvara, um, you know, the first many editions were great until, you know, all of a sudden they had to redesign it because it wasn't what it was because everything else changed around it. Yeah, the, the Latin. Okay, first off, Vibram think don't work for me because I looked down at my feet and I was like, <laughs> I look like a chimpanzee. I can't do this. Um, so that, I never got into those. I did also, though, at that time I was reviewing shoes and, I was wearing a lot of the Merrill gloves and stuff like that to do workouts. And I ended up breaking a, a, a metatarsal and it was a combination. I was doing too much and in too little shoes, but I remember running like uh, the Arizona marathon. I ran in the fast twitch. And while I love the light feeling, especially late in the marathon, it just, your legs were just beat up at, yeah. after that. And we talked to athletes now and we talked to coaches and they're able, I think one reason, some people are saying that records are being broken because of the foams and the plates and this. And the, the other argument is, no, they're, they're being broken because people can train harder and recover faster. Where, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a two-part thing. I think um, I think, I think like the, just the, the basic notion of recovery after a long run, if you've run in a, in a foam shoe or a foam and plate shoe, you feel different, right? It used to be like you'd run a long 16 miler on Sundays and then by Tuesday you'd still be dragging, right? And like yeah. that whole that whole Dom's experience would, would definitely be a real thing. And and now it's it's um you you can you can feel actually pretty lively and pretty good after that 16 miler and like you recovered and feel better on Monday. So then you can train harder on Tuesday if that's your workout day. I also think that like the notion of doing like something like a 30k hardish progression run, right, is 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 much more of a piece that is uh, uh, performance-oriented training, right? That is that is going into that component of marathon training. And that goes for the elite runners and everyone else, right? And like, I, I really think that like the, the recovery aspect and recovery into training are as much of a factor as just the race day propulsion. Do you think, so one of the quote trends that we kind of saw at TRE this year was the notion that we're going back to this minimalist design style shoe. We didn't necessarily see any. Would you say back to minimalist or more like pendulum swing back to lower stack? Yeah, just I guess lower stack is is is. Do you think that's what we're going to see in the future? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, like we, prior to this year, we saw obviously a lot of a lot of training shoes get like uh, two to four millimeters more of stack. Right. And so that became a thing. And and 
you know, I, I think that that's worked for some people. I think that just, just in the notion of running, I think that feeling the ground is a good thing or feeling more of the ground is a good thing that uh, you, if you can use more of your instinctual kind of uh, connection to the, whatever the surface is to propel yourself, I think that's going to cue good running form. And so um, personally, I think that like some of the super high stack shoes uh, can, can be a little bit, um, I don't know, I don't just like uh, blocking to what you, you know, to, for really good running. Sometimes you just go out in a, in a high stack shoe and like you're like, doubling oh, your senses. Yeah, the, the shoe will do the work for me, or the shoe will like you know. But then, like, I feel like, oh, am I really, am I really running with with good gait and everything else, or am I just kind of plodding along, you know? So, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, obviously, I saw some of those shoes as well. I think that's certainly um, a factor of maybe two things. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, before the um, Saucony Elite came out, um, the Dorfman Elite, they, they had they had that kind of cut down version of that. Uh, I guess it was the first elite that Jared Ward wore that that whatever that that race in the mine they did um, in Germany. But um, I think I think that like they're discovering too that like there's different stack heights probably produce different levels of of engagement. You know, I think I think I think we're still in that point of understanding what's going to be best in terms of performance. And also, as we know from running shoes, it's it's marketing too, right? I mean, like the, the reason high stack um, shoes are 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 becoming a thing is because every other brand is doing it right. And everyone, every other brand's got to keep up and, and, and the phones are better. So that's why we're going up. But then as soon as somebody says, Oh, we've got a lower stack version, like it's, it's going to trend. So that, you know, the copycat trends in running are pretty prevalent and that's going to continue as well. So I'm sure we'll see more of those, you know, to a point. Yeah. My feeling is it has to really depend on foam technology. Like I think the next, the next big breakthrough would probably be less foam that, feels as soft and cushy and bouncy as these 40 millimeter stacks. Like if you could get a 10 millimeter stack to feel underfoot, like a 40 millimeter, that would be, that would be the real breakthrough. Cause you'd have that low quick to the ground feel, but your foot would still feel protected and stuff like that. I have no idea how they would do that, but that's, well, I mean like, but, but look at the pro Evo one. I mean, like, I think Audi is, is it, I mean, that, that foam obviously is, is super light. Right. And, and I think, I think every, every runner would appreciate super light for the course of a marathon or a long run. The challenge with getting super light up until recently has been like, Oh, it's too low to the ground. It's too minimal, things like that. Right. And so I agree. So if you had a foam with compression values that allow it to be light and low, but still have a, you know, um, the compression value of a thicker shoe, that's, that's the secret sauce. And maybe that's, part of what the pro Evo one has done. Right. I mean, like it's, I think, I think we're still in that, this period of like the science is ahead of us and we're catching up to it and, and putting it into shoes, you know, it's, um, it, which, which is exciting for sure. I think that, um, you know, if we keep seeing the sharp end of the spear getting faster and, and that's queuing like more changes, I mean, that's, that's, we're, we're, we're still in like this crazy, you know, renaissance of, of, of running shoe performance. Yeah. I feel like, and I know Megan will probably agree with me, there's a technology that has nothing to do with foam <laughs> that uh, is probably my favorite sensation in a, in a fast day shoe. And that's the AirPods in the vapor or the alpha fly, especially in the alpha fly three. Like, do you, is that an area you feel like the shoe companies are so busy chasing what we already have? They're not looking to different technologies that may be outside of foams that, could benefit runners. I mean, I think I think I think that question leads to, you know, within within the space, there's there's innovative companies, and then there's there's a lot of companies that just chase trends, right? And so I think that 
you're always going to see um, brands working behind the scenes in, in their research labs. I mean, um, chasing new things or new ideas and stuff, stuff that never comes to fruition either. Right. I mean, um, there's, there's been a, you know, a handful of things that have, that have kind of come and gone that, that people never talked about, but like, I, I do think that like, yeah, we'll continue to see, you know, more than just foam and plate, you know, obviously, uh, the vapor flies are uh, vapor fly and alpha fly both changed the game and people have followed those. Right. So Nike is always an innovator, right. Um, partially because they have the money, the commitment for that. Um, Adi, uh, uh, Adidas is back in the game. You know, they, they were for a long time not in the game, but they're back in the game. And so it's pretty easy to identify kind of who the innovators are. And there's also like plenty of brands that are trying to innovate and push forward. I mean, that, that the the Puma faster too, you know, that plate is cool because it, it extends beyond the, the toe. I think, I think we're going to see small things like that that could make a difference, right, if they work. So I think that um, while there are true innovators, um, there are also it, it, there are also every brand benefiting from what everybody knows and all the phones that are out there. But I think that there's, you know, certainly going to be brands that are going to be trying to push for you know different pieces that make sense, right? And the more they the, the data informs uh, design and, and performance results, the more we're going to learn, and that's where it's going to you know continue to take off. Okay, so the bubble gum lip lip on the uh, on the fast R that you just mentioned on the fast R2, you feel that that is a benefit? Like I'm trying to figure out, is that actually a benefit or is that a gimmick? Like, couldn't the shoe just extend out like the toe of the oh, shoe gross. extend out over that? Right. Like it, what's, what's the deal with it? Right. We, uh, can we set that question again? We, we froze here. Okay. So I'm saying, can you hear me now? Yep. All right. So the, the shoe itself, to me, I can't tell if that's a gimmick or not, because I feel like you could just extend the material over that toe and it would just have a normal pointy toe like a running shoe would have. Um, so with it bumped out with that bumper there and it exposed, to me, that's like, hey, we're different. We're doing things different and trying to like visible technology um, show off the shoe. Do you feel that that is actually a benefit and is creating a benefit to the runner? I, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I, I think you're right. And you hit on something there. I mean, visible technology, you know, Nike started that with the airbag back in the eighties and then an ASICs followed with that. And like, again, those weren't necessarily huge performance values, but they were to be sold, right? They were, they were, it was cool at retail to look like, Oh, look at the airbag. Right. Um, and, and so that, yeah, that could very well be that too. Uh, I think that, uh, the, the proof will come in, you know, marathon results, right. Um, maybe the Olympic trials and other things, but I think that it'll be those things that brands are trying to do that extend themselves. And, you know, Puma says they, they test it in their lab and everything else. So, you know, but we'll see, right. Uh, there's been plenty of other shoes that have been claimed to be something that maybe, maybe have not. And the other thing too, is it, it's, you know, it's like, obviously Puma has a pretty good stable of, of really good athletes. Um, but that, that, you know, the, the result of that, like even, even like the Under Armour shoe in, in New York City Marathon, right? Um, that one New York City Marathon to a year and a half ago, but that doesn't mean that that was an exceptional shoe, right? It, it's hard. It's hard to put like a the runner the, versus the shoe. <laughs> versus the shoe on the race day. And like, you know, there's so many things ultimately in, 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 a, in a fast race or a, a elite race, it's still going to come down to the athlete and, and um, every all the things they bring to the table. And maybe all the shoes are the same, right? At that point, you know, it's like it's, it's hard to say. But yeah, so I think it's it's interesting. I think you know, um, the marketing and selling of technology or gimmicks or visible technology has been a big part of running forever, right? And yeah. and it still is. And like, um, 
you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully now we, we do have more ways of getting results or data, but I think that certainly that's still part of the game. Well, it's always interesting to me when they say they test the shoes and we did it in the lab because typically they're testing against maybe one or two competitors and their own shoes. And again, you're depending, like you said, on the athlete. So I'm looking at the VO2 max of, say, Molly Seidel, and I'm going to put her in the DVA Elite 2. I'm going to put her in the Fast R2, and I'm going to see, okay, which one is she doing, uh, performing better in, knowing that she can't choose the other brand's shoes. So why test her? Why test that shoe on her? When you don't want her going, oh, geez, you know what? I really like X brand over here. I think what would be cool is if, if somehow we could have an independent, um, sh- you know, pretty deep dive in a pretty high end lab uh, shoe test. Right. That really that really spelled out all the performance of, all, you know, maybe this you know same group of 20 runners testing all these different shoes for the same test. I think you'd really get um, an eye opening set of results. Right. That would be maybe hopefully unbiased. I mean, even the Nike study. Um, the four percent study at CU on uh, Boulder uh, was, was, you know, a, a, a pay-to-play kind of study that Nike produced, and then they, you know, had oh look, it's four percent. Like they named their shoe after, right? It's, it's, it was all too convenient, but even behind the scenes of that, it was it was, you know, a, a, a biased study, right? So I think that I, I agree that studies are are based on what a brand wants it to be or what they paid for that, you know, e- either internally or externally, uh, what they what they wanted um, the results to be, right? And and I suppose if there's results that are on the other direction that you'd never see those. Right. So, but it would be cool to have a, a super high level um, uh, lab test that showed data, right. Um, you know, every year. And it, and it could be the believe in the run, you know, million dollar lab you're building, but, but, but on the backside of that, I think too, though, that also takes away from, you know, this whole touchy feely run experience where. That's where, the thing I love. Where, where, like where you. Not- where you as a runner know best what feels good for you, right? Yeah. That's, that's important. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, when we talk to uh, Lab Rat Run and he, he tests shoes, a lot of times, like, I'll intuitively feel a certain way about a shoe. Like, I'll put it on and this is my gut on this shoe. And then I love it when there is testing. And, again, he doesn't do, like you're talking about, really, really, really deep dive. He's, it's a smaller. It's him. It, 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 well, and a couple colleagues and stuff. But. The, um, but I like it when the test sort of matches my gut. Um, you know, it's, it's an ego thing anyway. Um, the, but it brings up a good question though. We are now getting into this. Okay. You have super shoes. They're designed for elite athletes, people who are running two hour, nine minute marathons, maybe even faster. And this shoe is the maximum that they can get out of themselves. They test it. They say, this is the right shoe for that. And then they release it to the market and average guy, 3.30, four hour, whatever. They're going in, they're saying, okay, yeah, I also feel a benefit from this shoe. Now it could be placebo effect. It could just be better cushioning, better uh, quality, uh, you know, foams underfoot, lighter weight uppers. In your opinion, do you think that the average runner is getting the benefit from super shoes. Do you think we should be spending our two fifty, our three hundred dollars? It say Evo one five hundred dollars. Uh, should should that average person be buying a super shoe 
Um, do you want me to bring down the industry right now or what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> I think that, I think that uh, certainly, you know, the, the, the marketing and upscaling of, of super shoes is a real thing. And I think certainly at some level, if you, if you take that three thirty to four hour marathoner um, running in a shoe that's lighter with better foam, are they benefiting from it? Probably uh, on the face of it. Yes. Right. Is it specifically um, helping a, a, a performance uh, oriented gate, meaning someone who runs 220 or 230 versus the, the, the gate that's running 330 or four, maybe not as much. Or if you, you know, if you look at a more distinct heel striking gate, I mean, some of the shoes, yes, some of them, no. I mean, that's a thing too, that every one of these super shoes uh, runs and feels different. Right. And, and the foam and like, and how you, how, how it interacts with your gate is different. So, you know, I, I can't say that like, no, I, I think there's definitely a, a probably a, a plus. I mean, um, for most runners. Um, but I think most runners have to just determine that for themselves. Right. I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, if you ran say, uh, Berlin in, in 348 and ran, you know, New York in, in 323 or 330, something, something, something comparable in different shoes. I mean, what's the exact variable that changed there, right? I mean, who knows? There's so many different things. Um, I, I do think that getting back to the recovery notion and all that, I think the, the, the value of super shoes is not, not again, just that improvement of time or over 26.2 miles. It's so much more than that. So, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think all runners have benefited. I think that, uh, of course, brands are going to say like, oh, it's going to benefit everybody too, right? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like most of us uh, aren't chasing 201 or two flat or, or whatever. So, um, Sorry, Megan here. <laughs> well, Megan, you know, yeah, she, she's in a different different case for sure. But but I think that, I think that we've all benefited, you know, again, compared to shoes over the arc of 20 years or even, you know, pre, pre-boost. So I think that we've all benefited. I think that certainly there's been a intentional, again, uh, upscaling of price and everything else, which is awkward because now shoes are really expensive, right? I mean, like, well, you can't, if you, I think it's also psychological. Like if you, if, if you agree that Nike set the bar with the Vaporfly 250 and they're like, this is the best running shoe. And then you come out with your best running shoe and you're like, it's 180. There is a psychological component, I think to runners where we're like, Hmm probably not as good there it's not it's oh, not yeah. 250 yeah the, so. the premium <laughs> the premium product for sure and but but i always tell people and i actually really like still like the brooks launch which is 100 bucks or maybe 110 now but i mean like if you want a, sh- a shoe that can do everything for that runner um that's still a good shoe too right i mean like it's, it's just it's just a understanding of what what you want what you need and also maybe what you aspire to too i mean there's plenty of people that will um you know go out and buy high-end stuff, you know, cars and clothes and everything else. And people that want to just get by with what they, you know, the, the more basic stuff. And so, right, right, right. And so I think, I think, you know, getting back to this point though, that every brand has said, oh yeah, it works for the the two hour marathoner. It works for the four hour marathoner. But then I think that the, one of the first brands or shoes that have really said, Hey, this shoe is different is that, that new Solomon S lab specular, right? Yeah. Yeah. which they believe is, is more geared toward the three to five, I think the three to five hour marathon is what they said. 803 pace is what they are saying is ideal for it. Yeah, which puts it, someone like myself in a tough spot because some days I'm going to run an 803 for a marathon and some days I'm going to run, you know, a 749, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, right. and do I want to be in a, in the shoe for, you know, well, that's that's the hardest part of that line shoe for slower. me was how do you convince someone to take a shoe that isn't for 
the top performer. Like, I totally get what they're trying to do there, and I think it makes complete sense. But in my mind, I'm still like, if I want to run as fast as I possibly can, why no wouldn't limits. I choose the shoe that is technically the best? Right. We, we all aspire to be to be the greatest possible version of us, right? And if, yeah. if kids that means- don't wear Jordans thinking that they're going to dunk, <laughs> they wear them because hopefully they'd be, you know, basketball look cool. I, I never had Jordans, but I could also like almost barely touch the rim with my, <laughs> my three. But you were up there. Here he is up there, right? Yeah. I mean, I love that the S Lab Spectre. I I find to be a super enjoyable shoe to run in. It's probably one of my favorite recent shoes that I can think of. I just once they gave it to us at the running event, I wore it for like two weeks straight just because I just really enjoyed the shoe. Yeah. I don't feel necessarily fast in it, but it, a lot of the times I wasn't trying to do uh, speed work in it, right? But it just, it felt good and it feels right. So I get that part, but it is psychologically for me. I think I would still be like, who knows, maybe I'm going to blow the doors off and run a two Oh nine today. <laughs> I, I need to have the uh, alpha fly on. <laughs> I've run that shoe a bunch. And like, I think I, I, the longest I've run is like eight or 10 miles, but it definitely feels smooth and, and rolling and, and like, you know, um, efficient. Uh, but whether, you know, whether I would choose that 26 miles, yeah, to, to run a fast ish or a faster marathon, I don't know. I mean, like, certainly, yeah, we're all enticed by, um, you know, Vaporfly and Alphafly and, and, and all these like things we know that are like these bright, shiny things. Right. And, and I, I think it'll be hard for Solomon to market that, even if the technology is proven and works. Right. It's just yeah. a different, it, it, it's contrary to what we know of all this top down marketing. Yeah. So let's take it from there to what, and we don't need a brand. It's more like what attributes in a running shoe do you feel like if you were to build a running shoe or, you know, kind of think of the perfect shoe for you, what does that, how does that come together? What does it look like? I mean, I think even, even without building, I mean, I think, I think fit is first. I mean, how it fits my foot. Um, you know, I have, I have pretty narrow feet. And so um, that's going to be the biggest thing, even, even if it's, I'm just building one shoe for me, um, cause, cause that's going to dictate everything about how I feel in that, in that shoe. I do think that like uh, kind of a medium stack height relative to what we know now is, is what I like better. I, I like to feel the ground and that goes for both trail or roads. Um, sometimes when I'm in high stack shoes, like I said, I, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm part of the experience. Like the, the shoe is like, you know, driving me and everything else. So I, th- I think it's somewhere it's like, you know, it's probably, you know, a, a 30, four in heel, maybe 30 in the, in the four foot kind of shoe, a springy, a springy bounce to it. Um, probably not a, for an everyday training shoe, probably not a plate. I, I've definitely experienced the more I've worn plated shoes to train in. I've had some weird, like, you know, four foot numbness and like just a lot of things that I'm like, I'm not sure that like I'm, I'm, I should be doing this, you know, as, as an N equals one kind of study, I've definitely become leery of like training in, in carbon plated shoes, you know? Um, and so I, I think that like, I think that like, you know, somewhere, somewhere under nine ounces, eight, 8.5 ounces, eight ounces would be great. Again, getting super light. Um, I love light, but at the same time, that has often meant like too little shoe, right? So there's definitely a, um, for me, there's a, there's a too little shoe and too much shoe um, that you have to really kind of maneuver through. Like, like I, I love the Speedland guys and what they're doing, but like the, the, the newer shoe to me is mostly too much shoe for a lot of things, right? I love the technology. I love the double boa uh, connectivity. And um, on, on a gravel road or a, a dirt trail, it's, it's a really good shoe. But as soon as you get on a little bit more technicality, like that, that becomes too much shoe. And I can say that about a lot of a lot of shoes. You know, like 
you can you can sense somewhere like oh that's too much shoe right and um th that is the magic though of a lot of these super shoes that when you're out there racing at race speed you kind of forget all that because it's such a flowy like bouncy like it, it's, it's 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 weird but like but training i think is different too though so i definitely like to feel the ground and feel that i'm part of the action you know all right so uh, in that you brought up uh speedline but norda they they kind of are instead of reinventing their shoe every year to to market a different shoe they have their 001 and now they have the 002 which is a sounds to me i really like the 001 but it sounds to me like you would probably prefer the 002 which is a lower so. stack yeah i think so i mean like i, I i've only i've run an 001 and uh Again, I, I appreciate what they're doing. I like it, but I, I didn't. I don't love it necessarily. You know, again, because same the same thing. I, I do think that the lower stack, and I haven't been in the O2, but I think the lower stack for me, slightly lower, um, is is going to be something I appreciate more. You know, I, I I did like, for example, a lot of the ASIC shoes that got thicker over the last year. The key to that was obviously the foam being good enough to um, to allow that to happen. Uh, but even with some of those, I was like, oh, that's that's a lot of foam, right? So. I don't know. I think I think that comes down to personal preference for runners. Yeah, because I still like the Trubuco Max too, or whatever. <laughs> that to me, I was just going out for a like ten mile run and it ended up doing twenty miles because I just thought, felt like my legs just felt so good and it and I was like, I'll just keep going. Yeah, but yeah, so you prefer and you're let's say you're also on the trails that you're on. It's a different type of trail out in Boulder. Like what is what's the surface in the the trails like? Yeah, so so most of like Boulder, Colorado in general, like like it's it's a lot of like um, uh, hard rock, you know, granite and like just uh, angular, uh, you know, ground and everything else. And so the challenge with running trails with a high stack shoe is they, they become very tippy, right? And so um, it, it, especially with some of those initial plated versions of trail shoes that we saw. Um, in 2021, uh, in early 2022, a lot of those shoes, because they had singular plates, as soon as they go over, they go over. And so I've, I've never rolled my ankle much as I did in 2022. Um, <laughs> seriously, I, I was like just going over all the time. Yeah. And, and like, you know, the Tecton X um, and now Tecton X2 uh, certainly changed that because there's even with the, the parallel plates, right, there's a little bit more give within uh, the midsole and you're not as levered as much, you know, I think the that, I didn't even think that? about that. What was that? That, that Saucony Endorphin Edge, I think, was the first one that was really like this staunch piece that like as soon as it was going somewhere, it's going all the way over. Yeah. And, and so and so I think that there's a place for plates for sure and foam. I just think that uh, as you're running on more technical terrain, um, you've got to be able to uh, be part of that um, connection with the ground and, and feel that. I think. And it, but, but, but that's the thing. Running trails is different in every different region, right? Um, yeah. You know, in the Southwest, it's sandy and dry. And in Colorado and the Rockies, it, it, it's very rocky in, in places in the, the Northeast or um, no, Northern Midwest, it's, it's very uh, mushy and wet all the time. Like it's, it's never wet um, uh, running in Colorado, but it, it, it's very rocky and angular, you know? Yeah, ours is like, I, I feel like I've, I've run in California, I've run in Colorado and I've run on the East coast. We have, it's kind of like skiing. We have the shittiest trails, uh, of, of the three. And then Colorado probably has some of the sweetest. And then California has to me the most, almost like they're beautiful trails. They're just nice buffed out. Yeah. Just, I'll, I'll give you that. But yeah. if you, if you can, 
I grew up skiing in the Midwest. And so the Midwest or even worse, the Northeast, if you can ski there, you can ski anywhere. Right. And so yeah, exactly. Yeah. That point, if you can run trails there, you can run trails anywhere. Right. I mean, I've only run trails in New England a few times, but like, it's a, it's, it's a different thing entirely. Right. And like, I never have the notion of like soggy, wet feet much, unless I'm crossing a river in, in Colorado, but like New England was, was a, uh, a mucky, wet, uh, sloppy experience and fun, but and just, just roots, rocks, yeah, wash yeah. out everything, everything. Yeah. Interesting. Meg, I know you probably want, want to get some details on, uh, top shoe picks. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, since we're on trails, give us your, um, overall, like if you had three trail shoes to pick any time period. Yeah. What are we going with? So, so one of the shoes I always liked, um, that, uh, it's like 2002 shoe. It was the Nike air Tupu, which was kind of, a a low to the ground with a little bit of foam, you know, Nike's better foams kind of trail shoe that had, that had, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, some grip to it. I think, I think we're seeing that now coming out in like a similar shoe, like the Brooks Catamount Agile. It was going to be a cool shoe, I think. Um, so that was cool. I think, uh, I definitely, I definitely was into, uh, the Hoka Speed Goat when it first came out. Um, and then, uh, I wouldn't say not so much anymore, but there's been so many other shoes that have, that have done really well. Um, I don't think of a third shoe. I, I do think, uh, the new, uh, the new Merrill, um, uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but the, um, the, the two the shoes that came out last year uh, were really strong. Um, I think of the name of them, but uh, so those are probably three of the shoes I've probably in, in my in my recent uh, recent. Uh, Spe- speaking shoes. of the speed goat, how many times do people ask you if you're related to 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 Carl? There, <laughs> so it's it's Carl Meltzer and Brian yeah. Meltzer. And this has been going on for uh, 20 years since I first met him. And we, we always laugh about it. Like, you know, and I literally explained it at one race thing. Like, okay, Carl Meltzer is the guy that runs fast. And Brian Metzler is the guy that writes about him, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I mean, people, people do ask, ask about it a lot or, or they will be like, I'll find somebody, you know, not so much anymore, but in the industry, people would like be like calling me Carl, you know, or, or in, in oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll, t- I'll take all those hundred mile wins, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And a shoe named at or collaborating on a shoe. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. I mean, the original, the original signature shoe, right? The speed goat, right? Yeah. Are you, are you doing, so are you on the road? You've got to be running the roads in Boulder as well. I mean, you can't always be on the trails. So what yeah. would be your top three road shoes? Uh, top three road shoes. I'm trying to think what's in my, in my relative uh, scope of things. Um, I think, I think in terms of like, my go-to for the last couple of years has been the um, Endorphin Speed, right? Whatever version we're on now, the two and the three, I think um, certainly have been great. Uh, I've run in those a lot. Um, I think uh, in, in terms of uh, kind of a super shoe, I think the uh, Adidas Pro 3 um, has been really um, my my uh, kind of go-to. I, I feel I feel good and smooth in that. I think I think some of the Nike shoes initially were were too too soft and too bouncy. Um, and then I'm trying to think what other shoe, uh, uh, think about my, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you before you get to the last one here. So you just said that you don't like running in plates, but the endorphin speed has, has a plate, but it's not a carbon fiber plate. Is it, is it soft enough that you feel that? I think so. I mean, like I, I run in, so I'll, I'll run in the endorphin, uh, pro the elite. Um, and those obviously are much more snappy. You know, I, I just think that like, 
what, what the speed offers is that really good foam, that really good resilient foam with some level of plate, right? It's it, whatever that uh, material is, nylon or whatever. It, it has some flex to it, but it has some, it, it's a nice midpoint of, of, of having some kind of uh, uh, agent. propulsive bounce to it, right? Without being that sharp. I mean, I think, I think some of those uh, um, shoes that, that are, are pretty race specific, it's almost like a race blade, right? It's like, it's, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty harsh, you know? So um I think I think uh, you know the Hoka Mach uh, shoes. Uh, I think we're on five or six now. I think those have been pretty good, um, which which blends yeah. Yeah, sort of a version of that. And then then again, then it, you, you accept it for the Mach X. Uh, I, I just think that like again for me, I've become a little bit leery of running in plated shoes. Um, you know, it, it does feel great, but also like I think there's like a, a backside to that too that we're maybe not yet aware of. You know. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out. I I will say that both the shoes that you mentioned, and we'll get to your last one there. The endorphin speed, I haven't been a fan of, but I just got the four and I've been running in those. I have probably 30 miles in them and I, I absolutely adore them. I think that it's, I don't know why, maybe it just softened up the foam just a touch or something, but this is the first one that I've really, I'm like, okay, I get the hype. This is a great shoe. And yeah. then did you get a chance to see the Adidas Pro 4 at uh, the running event? Yep, yep. I like the Pro 3, like you just said, and I like how that Adidas is saying, we're not going to release a new shoe until we have a re... Like, they're not just doing, okay, let's just tweak the upper and throw another one out so that we have a 4. I really do feel like they're doing the iterations when they have something to to benefit that it's slightly better or better. And yeah. I'm, I'm excited about Pro 4. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that maybe ASICS has been the same way too, you know, the Metaspeed Sky uh, Plus. I mean, like they have a different naming convention. So um, it's, it's you can't really call it a two or a three, but I think that that, yeah. that they're the same way maybe, you know, where um, it's, it's, it's less about um, changing to change, but obviously changing for performance, you know, which is cool. Yeah. And so, okay, so that you gave us two. Speed, endorphin Speed, the um, Adidas Pro. The Hoka Mach is definitely one, but I think in, in another one that actually worked well for me of this of the speed shoes is certainly the Rocket X, uh, Rocket X Two. I think that's that's been good. I just feel better in that. Um, it, it is a little bit bouncier shoe, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, and here's the thing, and you guys know this, like running um, every day in different shoes, right, is a a fun and also challenging experience because you don't get back to the shoes you love as much as you would like, right? I mean, I think that this whole advent of like um, shoe testers, uh, bloggers, uh, personalities, we all go through the same thing, right? Cause we all, we're all, we're all kind of on this cadence of those are new shoes, there's a new shoe. And like, so I, I, I donate a lot of shoes, you know, every month that I, I stop using, but I, I'm like, ah, oh, which ones are the ones I want to hang on to. Right. And like, yeah. it's this weird problem of like never running enough in the shoes that you love because mm-hmm. there's always more shoes to run in, you know, and that's just part of what we do, you know, by default. Well, that's my favorite thing is that's how I can tell if I love the shoe when there's a break or a lull and I don't have to choose a shoe and I stand in front of the, the wall and we, I usually like to try to keep at least one version prior so that when the next shoe comes out, we can compare it. If it's a total dud or it's, I feel neutral about it. Yeah. I'll donate them. But if it's like a shoe that I'm like, okay, this is an important shoe. I feel like, um, the mock's a good example of that. I was like when they finally got it to, I believe it was like, the third version or so I was like, okay, this is a fun shoe. Now when the next one comes out, I want to be able to compare what they do differently to it. But 
we do get back and I, and I keep an eye on Megan because I can really tell like, okay, what shoe did she really like? Cause she's putting on like double digit miles when she was training for a CIM. So it was like how many miles a week, like 90 miles a week. And I'm like, oh, what daily trainer is she going to choose for her easy run where her legs are beat up and not feeling good and she doesn't have to review a shoe? It was kind of fun to watch that it happened to be our top picks for daily trainers and stuff like that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and like, you know, as I said recently, is like there are so many good shoes, right? There's a lot of very good shoes. Um, there's not not as many like total dogs or bad ones. Um, <laughs> Give me the last dog you reviewed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'd have to think about that. Um <laughs> maybe I wouldn't want to throw somebody under the bus, but I, I think that like, you know, um, because of that, like, then it comes down to fine tuning personal preference of like, Oh, I like, you know, uh, the, the new balance 1080, uh, V 13. I like that, but Oh, this, you know, this is a little bit softer. Like, and you can really, you know, and we have, we're fortunate to have this opportunity, but you can yeah. really fine tune the difference between shoes. And like, I think that maybe some runners are starting to find that out. It's, it's harder, obviously, unless you have access to all these shoes or try on experience. Um, but but certainly there are a lot of really good shoes out there. And uh, I mean, that's it's a good problem to have in the industry and in, in, as runners. I mean, there's not not a lot of ways to go really wrong, I think, at this point. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like you, you brought up the 1080 V13 and the Nimbus 25, 26. I feel like a right. They're right around each other. Yeah. And it really does come down to a slight nuance in like how you feel that energy return or how maybe the upper fits or something like that. Yeah, I think, you know, but, but again, getting back to my point, I mean, so many people still shop by brand or, or by color, um, which is great because that's, I mean, like running shoes are more than just this thing. And like they're, there's this, this personal bit of self-expression too, you know? And so um, the beauty of that is like, there's, you know, most brands have a, a you know, a good, good offering of shoes. Right. And like we could debate uh, with, we could put eight uh, super shoes on the table and go out and, and test them. And even if data says this or that, we're still going to come back with our own personal preferences, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that that's, that's the whole rub of this whole thing. Again, like I love high-end data research and I also, but again, I love the, the idea that when you go to run in that shoe, or each of you run the same shoe, it, it's going to be slightly different. And yet you're going to feel this uh, emotional or what, whatever it is, brain to foot connection. You know, I, I like to say that you get, you get a, like a learned foot, right? Because you, you, um, you, your foot knows certainly uh, what what you like. And right, right away you can yeah. put a shoe on and go, yes, this is going to work. Or no, it's not going to work, right? Well, we do. Even as a, as a shoe reviewer, I find myself biased sometimes by brand. Like I'll give you an example. I think one of the brands that did the most to – bring new foams into the space with Skechers with the, um, the supercritical foam. Kurt and that team brought in this foam that was really good. I think that other people were hesitant because the foam felt cheap. Like it doesn't feel like a luxurious material in your hands. Um, right. And their, their design isn't always a hit. So, well, I would say also the brand itself isn't exactly right. known but then they you put that foam into the hyperion you know tempo and and these other shoes and all of a sudden it's you know becomes more desirable and you see other brands playing with it and it's kind of proliferated there's there's almost a super critical foam in in every shoe lineup now that when i I used to say like i'd be running i said if i don't look down and this had a Nike swoosh on it or something like that. 
I would think this was a great issue ever, but I do have to take off points for the fact that I don't like, it's like riding a moped. You didn't want to be seen in public on it. <laughs> um, you know, no, that's a good point. Um, long ago, I, when I was younger, I used to, I used to test skis. I used to be part of the, like the skiing magazine test team, you know, and, and they used to get the skis from, from the manufacturers with a white top sheet. Right. So you wouldn't know what it was. Um, the, you could see the bindings, but the bindings weren't tied to the brand of the skis. And so you'd ski it and you'd be like, oh, what is, you know, and it was a really great way to objectively test a ski and how it performed. Right. If we could do that with shoes, it'd be amazing. It would be impossible to do because yeah, even if you had like a factory designed version of a, an all white shoe with no logos, you'd still know what it was. Right. You'd, you'd yeah. still be able to see it. The, the tooling of it would be obvious, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that like, uh, getting back to Skechers, I think Skechers, you know, has put out a lot of good shoes that the, the foams have been really good and they've actually been ahead of the game in, in some spaces. Um, but, but certainly Skechers gets a rap for being this kind of quirky brand that is like this small shoe thing for, you know, moms and walkers and all that stuff. Well, but it, shape ups and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Some of the marketing of their non-performance shoes clearly is. Yeah. But, but I think Skechers has put out some good shoes. I think that like, you know, in a, another stretch, I mean, Solomon has had a tough time getting into road shoes, right. Cause they're, they're so, they're so known as a mountaineering and, and trail running brand, right? And so I think every brand brings with it a reputation of how we interpret that, you know. And um, Nike Trail for years, Nike Trail um, until the, the Vaporfly, uh, or sorry, the uh, what's it called, the uh, Ultrafly. Ultrafly, yeah. They they had uh, a lot of good intent, um, but they had a lot of slippery rubber shoes. You know, uh, they, they 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 said they were sticky rubber, but until they got Vibram, they weren't to me a really a player, even though they had athletes and they had marketing, and so. Every brand has like this this uh, reputation or kind of uh, biases that we all have that like yeah. you know um, that we have to maneuver or accept or just indulge in right I mean um, you know for years New Balance had the the dad shoe thing right and uh, New Balance puts out some pretty pretty good shoes and I think that the the Super Comp V4 is going to be a great shoe for example you know with the full full Piba foam but like yeah. Um, Every time we lace up a shoe, there is some kind of inherent uh, connection or bias or belief that we, we have personally. Yeah. Well, I think it, they, they, you know, when we were growing up, to be called a geek or a nerd was a bad thing. And it kind of shifted in the uh, culture. I feel like dad shoes have also kind of shifted. I'm I, like currently right now, I'm wearing a pair of uh, gel NYCs from ASICs that, you know, a couple of years ago, I think they were the ugliest thing on the planet. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, they bring back the memories of the early 2000 running shoe. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, Nimbus 3, well, I like it. <laughs> nostalgia rules today, and, and, and you're a dad anyway, so it's like, you yeah, know. It works. Once you get over the, like, once I got over the, my, my daughter making fun of me for stuff, I'm like, okay, I think, I think they're cool. You know, like, that's that's yeah. a definition of a, of, of a dad shoe right there. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right, Brian, I know we're already over an hour here, so we won't keep you any longer, but thanks for coming on and being super nerdy and chatting shoes with us. And, <laughs> Again, um, nerdy in a good way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's a good thing. I'm fine. No, I love it. I love it. And like, I'll, I'll say one more thing. And I've said this to yeah. you guys a couple of times, sometimes uh, over the influence of alcohol at bars, but I love what you guys <laughs> do because you made, I think you guys more than anybody have made the shoe testing genre, a brand, a thing. Right. And I think that that's cool because like, I've come in from a, a straight editorial background and some other people come in from a personality and you guys have plenty of personality, but I think you guys have done a great job of making this whole genre, this branded thing, uh, uh, making it real. Right. And, um, 
again, I love, I love all the people in, all, in this space, but I love what you guys do because your, your, your character development, right, um, allows people to connect with how you feel about shoes, right? And it's very authentic, but it's also very real, right? I feel like I'm talking to, when I, when I listen to you guys, when I see your stuff, I feel like I'm at like my local running group, like looking down, like, oh, cool. Like, and like, and hearing real stuff. So, so props to you guys. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I, yeah. I do appreciate it, especially coming from someone who I consider a legend in the industry. So, you know, it's, it's nice. It, it, you know, you feel, I, you probably feel the same way once you write something, you're like, is anybody reading this? <laughs> you, know, you put stuff out and you're like, I hope somebody gets something out of this. Yeah. Yeah. But cool. yeah. Awesome. Thanks right. guys. Thanks, Appreciate Brian. it. All right, thanks, Brian.